So we are continuing the series we started last week titled Life in the Desert. And again, we're looking at the life of Moses and just the, the path of the Israelites. And again, last, uh, last fall we did a series called The Life of Moses where we looked at the first part of his life and up through them leaving Egypt and the, the Red Sea is where we ended. Last week we picked right up where we left off from that series um, as we jump back into the second half of Moses' life. And as we do that, um, I just I hope that you are following along in your own Bible through the week because, again, that's the reality of this series is we have a lot to cover okay, and way more ground than I have time to, to go deep into every passage, every verse. But there is so much in here that I just uh, you know, hope that you're going to be reading on your own. Again, if you want to dive deeper, we do have our, our, our sermon discussion group on Wednesday night. I'm leading that again on Wednesday night if you want to come and do that together. We have a group during second hour that meets in the cafe that goes through those, that same material. If you want to dive deeper into the stuff that we're not covering here from the stage on Sunday morning. But um, as we dive back into it, um, we're seeing that um, this theme verse that we have uh, for this series, it's on Isaiah 43, verses 18 and 19. This is God speaking to Israel um, as he kind of talks about everything he, he did in Egypt and the Red Sea and all of that. And then he tells them in verse 18, he says, But forget all that, it is nothing compared to what I am going to do. For I am about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in dry wasteland. And the reality is we all go through desert seasons in our life, don't we? Right? We all go through desert seasons even in our faith. And times when maybe God feels this in times that are uncomfortable, times that we're asked to do things that we've never done before, things that, that pull us out of our comfort zone, right? That we're not sure we're in the right direction. And yet God gives them and us this promise, right? I will make a pathway for you. Even when we started, we saw this video, and it started, if you saw it, right, the Psalm, 23rd Psalm. And again, part of that Psalm says, I walked through the valley of the shadow of death. And I think so many times in our lives, we get into those deserts and those dark valleys, right, and we just set up camp there. Right, but what does the Psalm know? The psalmist says, I am going through there. I'm going out the other side, right? And as I walk through that valley, God is with me. Right? And that's when we see these promises. I will make a path, right? and I will bring rivers and a dry wasteland, and God brings that freshness into our life, even in the desert, because that's who God is. Right? And God is that powerful. Right? And, and yet, as we see, as we follow along with the Israelites, as they go through the desert, we, we saw last week the kind of first two keys to life in the desert. Okay, key number one we looked at last week was to focus on God and his power to work through issues. Okay, we focus on God, not on the issues, right? We focus on God, and we focus on his power, not on my own ability or on the world, right? That I put my faith in God and in God alone. And that was one of the things we saw in that was that truthfully, it's a matter of faith, right? Misplaced faith. Is it in God or is it in something else, right? Because, um, because we will have issues in this life, right? Even as a follower of Jesus, you will have issues, right? But yet we, we claim that promise of God, right? Of the words of Jesus that says, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, because I have overcome the world. Guess what? That's still true, by the way. Right? I mean, I look at the headlines every week and be like, God, really? And he's like, no, I've overcome it. Right? Stay on the path. Keep going. Right? Don't lose faith. Don't lose hope. Right? Life, life in the desert, key number two, we saw last week, was to rely on trusted, like-minded people to help you. 
right? And that God's given people in our lives, right? That's why we have the church, so that we're not, we're not, not only to get fulfilled, filled up with God, right, but to be surrounded by like-minded people that are on the same journey, right? And, and as we look at those, we see those things. Now, today, we're going to move into the next kind of phase of the story, and, and in this phase, um, we're looking at life in the desert key, number three, and that is this, to submit to the sovereignty of God. They submit to the sovereignty of God. Now, again, sovereignty, this is a big theological word. As one, as we go through it today, we're going to help define it, right, and look at that. But the basic definition of sovereignty is that God is the ultimate authority. He has all the power. He makes the rules, right, that God is um, all-powerful, the ultimate authority. He is sovereign. He's the alpha and the omega, right, the beginning and the end. Okay, and that's, again, that's what we read in Scripture. That's the description of God. And God is sovereign, right? All-powerful. He's the one in control. And, and now the key to life in the desert is to submit to that sovereignty. Okay, to realizing, right, that's kind of the most basic fact of life, is that he's God and I'm not, <laughs> right? Because that's one of the big lies that we all follow, right, or that pushes away from God is that, no, I can be the God of my own life, and that's okay. That's not okay. Hey, life in the desert, key number three, submit to the sovereignty of God. If you have your Bible with, with you, open up with me to Exodus chapter 19. Hey, we're, this is where we're going to pick up the story where we left off last week. If you're here with us in person, you'll have your own Bible. There are Bibles provided for you in the seats. You're welcome to grab and use. Um, you'll notice the page numbers included in the outline where you can find this passage in those Bibles. If you're with us online, we're glad to have you as well. You can follow along in your Bible also, but flip open to Exodus 19. Like I said, just kind of keep it open. Um, we're going to go back to the story a couple times today. Um, we are covering a lot of scripture today, so be ready. Okay, are you ready? Okay, all right, here we go. We're going to start this first, first section okay, that we see is chapter 19. Okay, now, if you look at Exodus 19, okay, um, uh, we're not going to read the text Today, because there's, um, like I said, we have a lot to cover, right? So I'm going to summarize it for you. What happens here in 19 is that they start to move again. God tells them to pack up and to move to a new place. Okay, so Israel does that. They all follow, they follow the path, you know, the direction of God, and they end up at the bottom of Mount Sinai. Okay, and this is where they set up camp. This is the next place. Now, this is a very significant place. Okay, in fact, what we're looking at, if you look, kind of look forward, right, what happens in Exodus 20, okay, is probably one of the most famous passages in all of Scripture that everybody knows. Even if you don't know the Bible, even if you've never opened it or read it before, you know this passage. It's the Ten Commandments. Okay, you've seen it right, in places. And again, we are going to read that, but before we get there, this chapter 19 is the setup of the Ten Commandments being given through Moses. And as we look at that, as we look at this setup, right, this is where they end up at the bottom of Mount Sinai, and, and, and God comes to Moses and says, hey, get everybody ready, because I am going to talk to the entire nation. Right, I'm not just going to talk to you, I'm going to, I'm going to, everybody's going to be a part of this. Bring the leaders together, get everybody ready, and what happens in, in chapter 19 is God tells them this is going to happen, and then they start their preparations, for this event, right, of God coming down over the mountain, and, and, and God says set up these boundaries around the mountain and make sure that nobody goes past these boundaries on there, because if they get into my presence, like, it's not going to be good, 
Okay, but, but even that, like, it, it set these boundaries, but even in the midst of that, it started them in this preparation to be, to be purified, right, to even be this close to, to God's presence. Okay, now, as they start to work through this, right, they see all of these preparations, we, we see the bigger picture of why do they need these? I mean, that's the question. Why is it that big of a deal? Okay, well, it's that big of a deal because of the fact that God is holy, Okay, this is why it's such a big deal. And this is the first part of God's sovereignty, is the fact that he is holy. Okay, that he is pure. There is no, no evil in him. There is no sin in him. There's, there's not, he is the definition of holy. Pure. Loving. Everything, he's holy. Okay, and, and the reality, right, he's God, he's holy. And the other fact is that we're not, right, because we're sinful. And this, in this moment, right, is, is where we see some of these uh, scriptures come to life, these basic concepts even of our faith and of the gospel. The fact that, the, that we learn, right, scripture tells us that the wages of sin is death, right? And so, again, because we're sinning, because we're fallen, that's what God is setting them up. He's like, you have to make sure that you set these boundaries. Because even when you go through this purifying thing, even when you're ready, when my presence is there, if you step into my presence, if you're not pure, right, then the wages of your sin is death. And that's exactly what will happen to you. Right? And so God tells him, go through this purification stuff, get ready, set up these boundaries. Right? In fact, we see at the end of Exodus 19, God talks to Moses again, and, and as he's already given them all these instructions, then he reminds them one more time. Right? He tells Moses in verses 21 and 22, he says, he says, go back down and warn the people not to break through the boundaries to see the Lord, or they will die. Even the priests who regularly come near to the Lord must purify themselves so that the Lord does not break out and destroy them. Right, this is a, a, one of these places we see that the true ramifications of sin is death. Right, and in fact, if they go into God's holy presence right, without being purified, they will instantly die. <laughs> in fact, as we look at this, right, and God tells it over and over and over again, guys, guys, I'm serious. Like, I don't want you to die. Right? But I also want to talk to you in this way. So don't cross these boundaries. He's like, Moses, reiterate it over and over and over again. Right? And even we see God's holiness, and we also see God's character of love right, in that. Again, there's huge ramifications as we think about God sets up these boundaries for us, right? And says, don't cross these, because if you do, it's going to be bad for you. Right? And we see the, the loving part of God's sovereignty even come out in his in his um, directions for them about, don't cross this, right? Because I want to be in a relationship, I want to be close to you, but, but we got to have these boundaries, right? Because you're sinful. Right? Now, this creates or, or introduces this whole idea, this theological concept of atonement. Again, big theological word, okay? But what atonement means is that you have, your sin has been atoned for. It has been paid for. You have been purified. Right? And this shows us, even in this story, we see why we need Jesus. Okay? Because that was the mission of the Messiah, was to atone for our sins, to pay the price for it so that we could come into the presence of God. And so we see this, again, God's telling them, he's like, you have not been atoned for, so don't cross the boundary. Now again, he says you haven't been atoned for yet. 
Again, this is a foreshadow. This is showing us from the very beginning of why we need a Savior. Now, as we look at that, right, we see this concept of atonement that is, that is described for us in Galatians 2, verse 16. Okay, where it says, Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. Again, this shows us that by obeying the law, we cannot be atoned for. We can never do it good enough. Right? We, that's why we need a Savior. We need a Messiah. That's why we have Jesus. Right? And we claim that, right, that we can be atoned for through Christ. And so we see the, this first part of God's sovereignty is that he is holy. Right, then the, the next, this kind of next piece of this sovereignty puzzle is, is what we see happen in the next kind of passage, right? As they're getting ready for this, God shows up, right, and he talks to them. Um, but we see that God is the authority. And not only is he holy, but he's also the authority. Again, he's the one that gets to make the rules because he's the creator. Okay, and because he is holy, right, and we're not, and we've, we've already broken those rules, Hey, now this is where we see as God comes out and he not only sets the physical boundaries on the mountain, but then God now sets the spiritual boundaries for life about how we are to do life with him. Hey, and this is what he does in, in Exodus 20, 1 through 17. He said this is a very famous passage right, of the Ten Commandments and we are going to read it this morning. So Exodus 20, um, we are going to pick up at verse 1. Where he says, then God gave the people these instructions. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other God but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any, of any kind or image or anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children, and the entire family is affected, even the children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. You must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. Remember to observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes your sons and daughters, male and female servants, your livestock, any foreigners living among you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and earth, the sea and everything in them, but on the seventh day he rested. And that is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. Honor your father and mother, and then you will live a long, full life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely against your neighbor. You must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. As we look at this text, and as we read these familiar words, Okay, we see that God sets the boundaries of what matters to him. Right? And he has set the physical boundaries around now. Now he sets the, ba- the boundaries of life. Right? He says this is what matters. He says if you live these, these things out, right, then, then you will be walking with me in the right way. Right? And, and you, we, I will keep you from falling into da- these dangerous traps and heading down the wrong paths and all these kind of things. This is, again, the guardrails of life. 
In fact, if we look at, at the, the two commandments, they're really, um, we can split them into two tablets. And again, we see, I mean, there are two tablets, right? And we see that in the text. God writes it on two tablets. Okay, but there's literally two categories of these commandments. Okay, the first tablet, okay, is focused on God. Okay, it's commands one through four. Now, it's not really half, right? I mean, but it's the first four commandments. Right? And they're completely focused on God and who God is and how we should interact with God. Hey, now, commandment four is the Sabbath day. That, that one is the transition one. That one's actually about both. It's about, it is about God, right? About, you see, God is the example, right? That's why he gives us that idea, the concept of a Sabbath day. He worked six days in creation, then he rested on the seventh. Okay, and as commandment four is the transition, it's the connector of the two tablets. Okay, tablet two, then, is focused on interaction with our neighbor. It's on how you interact with other people. Okay, now, as we see these, these two kind of categories, these two tablets of the Ten Commandments, okay, that we see um, how, how it literally encompasses every part of life. Right? And as we, as we look at this, and, and again, we, even as we read the Ten Commandments, the kind of question is, well, I mean, do these even matter today? I mean, I mean Jesus came, right? We're, we're not under this covenant anymore. This was the start of this covenant that got established with the Israelites, right, as he gave it to Moses. And yet, and yet this is, again, that's a valid question, right? What, what, are these still relevant in 2023? And I was absolutely, they are. Hey, but as we look at that, I want to look, flip, uh, keep, keep your, your finger or a bookmark in Exodus 20. We're going to come back to that, but flip with me over to Matthew uh, chapter 5, and I want to look at verses 17 through 20. Okay, Matthew 5, verses 17 through 20. Okay, again, this is, again, the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus talking, again, as he, and in fact, if we look at the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus literally goes back through the Ten Commandments, and he describes them in this sermon. Okay, and as we look at that, though, this is kind of the, 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 the kind of one of the opening concepts that he presents here in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 17. He says, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But I warn you, Unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now we look at this to say, obviously Jesus brings up the Ten Commandments, doesn't he? The law of Moses. He brings up and says, hey, these are important, right? These, these are things. But notice that Jesus says he did not come to abolish them, right? They still matter. Hey, but he says, but no, I came to fulfill them. Again, what did Jesus mean by fulfilled, right? He fulfilled, not abolished, right? Which means, practically for us, the concepts of the Ten Commandments are still needed and still 100% true today. Okay, these are still God's boundaries. Okay, but yet they have been fulfilled, right? And Jesus says they've been fulfilled, right? And because I've come to accomplish their purpose. So then, well, how does that make sense, right? What was their purpose? Well, Jesus tells us, he alludes to what their purpose was. 
Right? In fact, if we look at the, the law, right, because what does he tell us in verse 20? Right? He says, but unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter in the kingdom of heaven. And again, the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders at the time, they were excellent at living the, the law of Moses. They, they were really good at it. But, they, but the point, even the point of the whole Sermon on the Mount is the fact that they were good at practically living out those, those commandments, but they missed the entire point. Hey, because the law did not accomplish its purpose for them. right? Because the purpose of the law was for them to realize they could never earn their own salvation. That they could never get there on their own. That no matter how good they were, they will never end in the kingdom of heaven by their works. And he says, so the purpose of the law, right, was to, to make us realize that we are sinful, that we will never reach that bar on our own, which is why we need a Savior. It is why Jesus came. And so he says, I come to fulfill it, saying, now that you know you need a Savior, now I will atone for you, and I will make you righteous because of his sacrifice, because of his death and resurrection, he has now conquered and paid the price of that sin so that we can now come into God's presence because we have been atoned for by the blood of Jesus. Right? And the purpose of the law, it doesn't that those concepts are still good for us, right? We still need to leave, but the purpose of the law was to show us we needed Jesus. Right? And which means, again, he didn't abolish it, right? They still apply. Those are still good boundaries. But now they've been fulfilled in that now we know that we can be atoned for by the blood of Jesus and by his resurrection, and now, now those boundaries lead me to a place of freedom. They lead me to a place of holiness, to be holy like he is holy. Right? Do I still live them out? Absolutely. <laughs> right? But I'm not saved by those actions. Right? I'm set free by those actions, but I'm not saved by them because I'm, I'm saved by Jesus. Right? That's how I'm atoned for. In fact, if we look at this, Jesus, um, again, summarizes Right, all of these because he gets quizzed later in Matthew, Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40. Right, these religious leaders they come up and they try to trick Jesus and they ask him this question. Right, they're like, Okay, you fulfill it, then we're gonna stump you, we're gonna paint you in a corner that you can't get out of. And they say, Which commandment's the best one? Right, and they start quizzing him and they do all this. And this is Jesus' response, right? Uh, Matthew 22, starting in verse 37. He says, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment, and the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the commands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. You know what Jesus did here? Not only did he shut down the Pharisees and prove them that they couldn't paint him in a corner, he couldn't get out of I mean, he's God. Right? Again, he's sovereign, right? He's the one that makes the rules. Okay, but what he does, he literally summarized the Ten Commandments. Right? Because what's the two tablets? How are you going to act with God? Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what's the second tablet? How do you interact with your neighbor? Just love God, love your neighbor, everything else plays out fine. Right? And that's exactly what Jesus tells them. He's just summarized the Ten Commandments. Right? And guess what? They knew that, by the way. Right, which is why they were stumped. Right, in fact, uh, if we look in, 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 I think it's Mark's version where it says, and they, they wouldn't ask him any more questions. 
right? Because they realized Jesus knew what he was here to do, and he knew the scriptures, and he knew the commandments, and he knew the law of Moses, right? And they're like, okay, and he's, he's here to fulfill them, right? And Jesus shows that, even though they weren't willing to accept it. And as we see this, um, okay, let's, I want to jump um, again back into Exodus chapter 20. So if you haven't uh, marked it, you can find it again. We're going to jump back into this story okay, as we see these Ten Commandments and, and why they're so important to us. Okay, but then we see this in this next section, okay, and right after the giving of the Ten Commandments is where we see the people of Israel make the mistake. Right? And we see that, again, just like last week, when you see the, these keys to the, to the life in the desert, and then we see a mistake, right? And, and where they fall short of that key. And that's what we see them do okay? in Exodus 20, verses 18 through 21, right after they receive them. So, but before we look at that, you just, this is the mistake. Okay? Their mistake is they pull back from God instead of leaning in. And remember, what, what they're here. God, God brings his presence, right, and the boundaries. And, and then this is what happens after he gives the Ten Commandments to Moses. Okay, picking up, again, verse 18. Okay, it says, When the people heard the thunder and the loud blast of the ram's horn, and when they saw the flashes of lightning and the smoke billowing from the mountain, they stood at a distance, trembling with fear. And they said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen, but don't let God speak directly to us, or we will die. Don't be afraid, Moses answered them, for God has come in this way to test you and so that your fear of him will keep you from sinning. And as the people stood in the distance, Moses approached the dark cloud where God was. Now this is, again, we see their reaction, right? They, they see God's presence, they re- and they're afraid. Now again, this is, this is an, a, a, an accurate response to God's presence, right? To who God is and his holiness and his presence and all that he's doing, right? And, and again, but this is the wrong kind of fear. They, because what do they do? Their mistake was they pull back from God, because what do they tell Moses? They're like, okay, um, God's pretty big and God's pretty powerful. Right? Again, they realize God's sovereignty in this moment. And this is when their reaction is to say, okay, we don't, we don't really want to get that close to God. Right? So we'll just step back, we'll pull back, and Moses, you go, you talk to God, like you're pretty good at that, and then you just come and tell us. Okay, now, this actually was the opposite of what God told them to do. Because if you go back in Exodus 19, God tells them, he says, set up the boundaries, and I'm going to talk and do all this. And then God tells them in 19, he says, when you hear the ram's horn, you know what they were supposed to do? He said, when they hear the ram's horn, it tells them in 19, after you hear that, I'm going to give you this, hear the ram's horn. They were supposed to go up the mountain. Okay, when they heard the ram's horn is when they were supposed to say the boundaries now don't apply and they were all supposed to go up the mountain into God's presence. Okay, as God gives them these commands, the Ten Commandments, and he says now, now because of this, right, that you'll, you'll be atoned for and now you can come up deeper into my presence. That's what they were supposed to do when they hear the ram's horn. What did they do? Nope. Who went up the mountain? Moses did. They were all supposed to go. Right? God was inviting them into this deep relationship with him. And they said, nope, I'm not going there. Moses, you do it for me. Does anybody feel the weight of this? What do we do? We make the same mistake every day with God, don't we? Right? God's calling us deeper into him, saying, you've been atoned for through the blood of Jesus. Come into my presence. Come deeper in. And we're like, you know what? I'm not sure I want that. 
Does anybody else feel convicted? Because I do. Right? They were supposed to run into God's presence, and they stepped away. Right? They let their fear hold them back. Right? It was the wrong kind of fear. Again, God's instructions were very clear. They were supposed to go up the mountain. Right? And again, but their fear held them back. That's the wrong kind of fear. This fear caused them to pull back from God when God was inviting them to move forward and to go deeper into his presence. A healthy fear of God is supposed to keep you from sinning. That's exactly what Moses says, right? right? Because God's sovereign, I'm not going to dive into that. I'm not going to mess with that sin stuff because it's going to lead me down a path I don't want to go to, and it's going to push me away from God's presence. And he says, so that fear of God is saying, because God is sovereign, I'm not going to sin. I'm going to push away from that. But then that same fear is supposed to draw us deeper into his presence. Right? And deeper into who God is. And deeper in that same fear, right, is, is, is a reverent fear, right, that brings us closer to God. It's that fear that shakes down those boundaries, right, that sin has put up in our lives so that we can break through them and run up the mountain, church. Are we going to run up the mountain? I hope so. A healthy fear draws you more closer to God. Right? And because of his sovereignty and because of his love. Right? And when we submit to that sovereignty, right, it takes us a place that we have never been before to an experience we've never experienced before. Right? That healthy fear of God that, yes, I submit to your authority and to your power and to your holiness, but I also receive your love. And dive into that relationship. Now, as we see this next section of this, right? After they pull back, instead of diving in, they, we see this next section, Exodus 20, 22, okay, through 24, 18. And again, we literally have this, this huge section of Scripture, okay, where God dives into the deeper instructions of how to live out the Ten Commandments. Okay, and he gives them all kinds of, of deep instructions okay, about about what, what people should do and what they shouldn't do. And, and if you go, you know, it's like, okay, if this neighbor does that, then you're supposed to do this. And, and they're just, they're, you just, just you kind of drudge through all of these details. Hey, now, obviously, we're not going to read every verse of that. I'd encourage you to read it this week. Hey, but again, God gives them very specific instructions, and I believe why he does that is because God knows our hearts. And our hearts are that we do what we can get away with. Yeah, and again, we do what we can get away with. I, this is how I've learned over my years of ministry and just life and interaction, right, is that everybody does what they can get away with. And God knows that, right? And he sets these boundaries and he says, okay, here's the boundaries and then we'll, we'll toe the line and we'll just kind of get to do whatever we can get away with. Right? And so God, that's why he gave them very specific instructions. He's like, okay, this, I'm, I'm going to close in the boundaries, right? And just so that you won't mess it up any more than you are, right? Because you will do what you get away with. And so he, he gives them these very specific instructions, and then he tells them hey, at, at the end of this section what the result will be if they live out all of these details. The result will be a close covenant relationship with God. He says, if you do these things, if you, you let God into the details of your life, right, and if you actually live them out, then the result will be you will be in a deep covenant relationship with God. In fact, we see at the end of this section, Israel accepts the Lord's covenant. And we see in verses 9 through 11. 
Okay, it says, Then Moses, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and the 70 leaders of Israel climbed up the mountain, and there they saw the God of Israel under his feet. There they seemed uh, to be a surface of brilliant blue, lapis luzeal, as clear as the sky itself. And though these nobles of Israel gazed upon God, he did not destroy them. In fact, they ate a covenant meal, eating and drinking in his presence. Does anybody else see how amazing that scripture is? Right? What did they do? They ate and drank in God's presence. Did they die? No, because they've been atoned for. Right? God has invited them into that deep relationship. Right? And that will be the result. Right? If we let God in, if our fear um, is a healthy fear that will move us towards God, that will be the result. And by the way, that's the point of our faith. Right, is a deep relationship with God. It is not about religion. It's not about checking off boxes. It's not about coming to church on Sunday. It is about running up the mountain and being in a deep relationship with God. Okay, and that's, what, that's the result of this. Okay, now, as we see that, right, is, is they end up in this place, and then guess what happens in the next chapters? Okay, Exodus 25 through 31. Okay, and this is where they are tested. Okay, this is where God shows up, and, and again, this is another big section of chapters where it, it goes down to the very specific detail. Okay, this is where the test is the details of the tabernacle that they're supposed to set up for God's presence, right, to live among them, for the priests and the clothes and the religious ceremonies and, and the holidays, and, like, and he goes down to just these minute details of how big it's all supposed to be and how to set it up and how to do all these things, right? And, and what these ceremonies are and how to do them. Okay? And, and again, that was the test, right? God says, I'm giving you these details. Now, will you do them? Will you live them out? Okay, and when I read this section of text, okay, my reaction to this is I read it and I'm like, wow, Lord, like, why? Like, why is that so important? Why do you go down to literally the exact measurement of the poles and how high the, the, the things are supposed to be and, and the, the very day and, and when you're supposed to, you know, on this day you have to do this and then you do that and don't do that because you got in these ceremonies and all these kinds of things. There's these, these fine, fine details. And you realize that God is the God of the details. Okay, that God cares about you that much. He cares about every tiny part of your life. Every thought, every emotion, every action, every attitude, everything. Right, to the very minute detail of your life. And, and, and okay, here, here's, here's the point today. Okay, this, this is worth your price of admission, I promise. Are you ready to write it down? As we look at this concept, right, the path to true spiritual growth is letting God into the details of your life. Okay, the path to real spiritual growth, to actually moving forward in your journey, to being made holy like he's holy, the, the path to that is letting God into every detail of your life. Because he is the God of details. He cares that much about you. Right? Don't, don't miss that. The path of true spiritual growth is letting God into the details of your life. Right? Think about those parts of your life right, that you're, like, you're tempted to pull back and sit around the mountain. 
right? Like, God, I'll, I'll give you Sunday morning. I'll even give you 10% of my income, but just don't touch that, right? And we do that all the time, don't we? Right, and God's like, but that's exactly where I need to get, Brian. Right, and we, we see that, I mean, we do this, right? The true path to spiritual growth is letting God into those details. Submitting to God's sovereignty and saying, God, you know better than I do, even with that. Right, the path to true spiritual growth is letting God into the details. It's exactly what Jesus tells us in Matthew 16, verses 24 through 26. Then Jesus says to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul? Right? Jesus is inviting us up the mountain in this scripture. He's saying, will you die to yourself and give up every detail of your life so that I can take you somewhere new? Right? That's the key. That's the whole point of the law. Right? It's to get to that place. To submit to God's sovereignty. Right? And let him take us somewhere new. Again, I don't know where you're at in your faith journey today. I don't know what you're holding back, what detail God's trying to get you to let go of. Right? Maybe literally it's, just, it's that first step of the journey of, of submitting yourself to Jesus for the first time. Saying, God, I surrender to you. Please save me. I want that relationship with you. If you've never received Christ your Savior, right, today's the day. You just ask him in your life and say, Lord, atone for me. I believe Jesus was the Messiah, that he lived and died to pay the price for my sin, and I want that sin gone so I can be in your presence. Come into my life, God. That's how you join the journey of faith. Now, if you have joined the journey of faith already and you, you are a follower of Jesus, right, the next key is to get, let God into the details right, and keep moving forward. And as, as we look at that, again, take that next step. Hey, because this whole section ends in Exodus 31, hey, verse 18 where it says, when the Lord finished speaking with Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave him the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, written by the finger of God. Again, think about the weight of that passage. Hey, we look at our lives. Again, God's law is written on your heart by the finger of God. You were created by him. He put this in your heart, in your mind, right? This is why you have a desire to even know God and to worship him, right? And to live out God's commands. God's laws are written on your heart by God himself. And God is inviting you up the mountain today. Right, and what's going to be our reaction? Right, the key, number three to life in the desert, right, is to submit to God's sovereignty. Right? And dive in, not pull back. Right? And that's God's invitation to you today. Will you dive in? Final thought. God showed us his authority, his love, and the way to live a holy life through the Ten Commandments. Are you ready to submit to his sovereignty? Again, wherever you're at today, I hope you will take a step forward. If you're far away from God, then rekindle that relationship. 
claim that atonement. If, if you're walking with God and say, but man, I need, to, I need to move forward, I'm holding back, like let God into the details. And if you're holding something back from God, you know what it is, it's in your head right now. Because right? that's what the Holy Spirit does. Right? Give that up. Okay, go to a new place. God is doing something new. Do you see it? He's making a path in the darkness. Water in the dry wasteland. Lord God, it is all about you. Lord, we praise you today. God, for calling us deeper into a relationship with you. God, we thank you for setting the boundaries. God, for showing us the way to a holy life. God, we thank you for sending Jesus to atone for us so that we can be in that relationship with you. And God, I pray, Lord, that as we go this week, that we will move forward in our faith. God, that we will take you more seriously, that we will give up ourselves. Lord, die to our sin, die to our selfishness, be done with doing what we can get away with, but dive deeper into you. And Lord, I pray that as we go this weekend, as we live out our faith, God, that, that your presence will be with us so much. God, that people will notice a difference. And God, that your light will shine through us into this dark world. And God, that we can help other people find the freedom that comes from you. God, as we go this week, as we live out our faith, as we die to ourselves every day, as we embrace the greatest commandments, Lord, may you be glorified. Lord, help us. Give us the courage to not pull back when we need to lean in. We praise you for saving us. We praise you, God, for being sovereign and loving. Lord, guide us as we go this week. As we live for you, as we shine for you, as we represent you well in, in all we do. All for your glory. Guide us as we go in Jesus' name.